Welcome, you're at the home front of an important battle. The American family is under assault. From the home front is on the front line of this battle, protecting families, parents, and children, raising the flag in defense of traditional values. News, research, and opinion are a part of each broadcast. Join us in the battle. Together, relying on the wisdom of eternal truths, we can rebuild the American family. Welcome. You're talking with Jane from the home front here, and we have a great show for you. A wonderful expert who is uh, giving some very valuable time to us today, and we're going to learn a lot. I want to welcome to the show Dr. Lori Carrillo. Uh, Dr. Carrillo, hello. Hello. Good morning. Good morning. I understand you had a very late night last night, and you're still awake, which I admire. (laughs) (laughs) as much as your medical expertise. We are going to talk about a subject that I think there are a lot of misconceptions about. It's a subject that many in our culture pretty much designate as a Catholic subject, uh, one that only Catholics are concerned about. And there's been a lot about it in the news as a result of the HHS mandate. We're going to be talking about contraception, but One of the areas that really pertains to contraception is women, women's health, and what's happened to women during the period where contraception became so important to us. Dr. Carrillo, you and I had a very brief time to talk about uh, shared experiences in the women's movement, and uh, some of the, the ideas that you had early on in college were the same ideas that I experienced uh, when I was at ASU in the late 60s and early 70s. When you were in college, how did you see your role as a woman, and especially entering the field of medicine and the field of OBGYN practice, uh, how did you see women in our culture and your, your role as a woman in our culture? I think that the way I saw myself as, as a woman, as a young woman, as a girl, was probably well-established, my parents would say, from the time I was born. I mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> was extremely determined and very convinced that the women's, the women's movement, equal rights, women's liberation, the feminist agenda, whatever you phrase it as, right. was, was one of my missions in this world, regardless of, of where God led me, what, mm-hmm. regardless of what my, my eventual vocation or career would become. And when I um, was growing up, before I even hit college, I was very, very pro-woman, very, very pro-life, which to me, those two things are absolutely one and the same. And when I went to college, that just became further solidified. Mm-hmm. Uh, as I as I came more into the, I should say, uh, sexual uh, discernment time where where the discussion of artificial contraception became more common, I, I definitely looked at the use of artificial contraception as a way to minimize unplanned pregnancies and, and hence the, the, the need for abortion, which I was always very against. So I think I, I probably walked into that, that mindset, even as a Catholic marrying in the Catholic Church, mm-hmm. Uh, understanding the Catholic Church's preference towards natural family planning, I very early on in my early 20s, mid-20s, had many active discussions with the priests and the bishops about 
how natural family planning was not that different mm-hmm. from artificial contraception in the sense that we were manipulating our fertility. Right. So did I answer that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I think uh, both religious people and people uh, without faith uh, shared a lot of these views. And you're talking about feminism and kind of the the idea that developed its own unique I guess, direction was that women should be powerful, be able to determine their own path in life, control their fertility, I think is a great phrase. And today, when we're talking about Catholics and contraception, lots of times we're just thinking about the abortion factor. But the thing that brought you to my attention when I first heard you speak was this idea of controlling our fertility. It seemed like it was a key piece of the women's movement that you couldn't uh, move forward with your life and your plans and your goals and your dreams and still uh, be pregnant and have children. The goal was to somehow do that when the time was right. And this term controlling fertility contraception was a key element of that. I think a lot of people have lost track of the fact that this was uh, fairly new in our culture, uh, and it came about in the 60s when high-dosage birth control pills came out. There is a wonderful book. It's done by Barbara Seaman, and it's called The Doctor's Case Against the Pill, and Originally, when the pill was put out, the dosage of contraception chemicals was so strong that it was causing strokes, death of women, and it was actually the doctors and their wives who became the testimony against the birth control pill at that time. They've lowered the dosage in our day and age and uh, promoted as safe and effective birth control. One of the things in your practice, you are an OBGYN now. How did you make your choice about becoming a doctor and then an OBGYN? Well, I originally went to college with the thought Mm -hmm. that I was going to become a psychologist and always, always had a draw towards women's health issues. So during my ASU days, I started working for an organization called the Center Against Sexual Abuse in Phoenix Mm -hmm. and was available by phone, hotlines, and then responding to emergency room to deal with either children that were victims of of sexual abuse or women who had been raped Mm -hmm. um, and, and assisting the doctors in the ER. Okay. So that was probably my first introduction to just specific women's health, and, and God definitely tugged my heart in the direction of caring for women, especially mm-hmm. women's sexuality. And it was sort of a little bit through the back door that I finally listened about going to medical school right. and and clearly was called to obstetrics and gynecology. Most obstetricians, we, we, we say once you get bit by the OB bug, there's no going back. And <laughs> right. it's definitely true because probably no other profession do we do we have the diversity and the and uh also the opportunity to participate in in the formation of family right life and how that affects women and just following women from from early adolescence through 
menopause and mm-hmm. geriatric care. We we have the full breadth of, of just really caring for and loving women, which I definitely have always been in that camp. So. Right. Now, in our next segment, what I'd like to do is share with listeners how this doctor who loves women, who has chosen a career to guard women's health and has considered contraception a a useful tool, uh, decreasing rates of abortion, decreasing pregnancies uh, that women and men and families are not prepared for, how that evolved as you started practicing in your practice and working with women. And uh, that is going to be the focus of our uh, section when we come back with you. Can you tell us a little bit about your practice and the uh, types of patients? I think you referenced it uh, just a moment ago, the types of patients and issues that you deal with. Well, I I do deal with a full breath. I take care of both pregnant women and non-pregnant women, mm-hmm. both young and older, and then everything in between. I um, I do a lot of a lot of treatment for abnormal bleeding or hormonal imbalances, mm-hmm. where traditionally healthcare providers have been encouraged to just use the birth control pill to help correct all, sort of mm-hmm. like a band-aid on women's health, and also you know the hormonal transition between reproductive age, and menopause, so the perimenopausal transition. Very good. Okay, well, we're going to be back with Dr. Carrillo in a few minutes after some uh, messages from our sponsors in the station. We're talking with Dr. Lori Carrillo, a Mesa practicing OBGYN, and our subject with Dr. Carrillo today is largely focused on women's health and a broader definition of that and in particular how the contraceptive pill plays into that. Uh, We welcome you back on the other side of the break. This is Jane talking from the Homefront KFNX 1100 AM Independent Talk. You're talking with Jane, and we have a wonderful guest with us today, Dr. Lori Carrillo, and she's a practicing OBGYN in Mesa, Arizona. And we're talking about women's health today, trying to broaden out for the average person the consideration of women's health, and in particular, uh, contraception and other technology that is used to control fertility, the impact that that technology is having on the health of women. Dr. Carrillo, in the first segment, you and I were sharing some of the experiences and views that we came out of the 60s with. Uh, For me, it was out of the 60s. I think you're a little younger than I. But the idea of women's liberation, feminism, uh, power to the women, uh, control your destiny, and Definitely contraception was part of that, and uh, you had explained that early on, even though you were a practicing and faithful Catholic, 
uh, with your medical background, you were trying to discuss with the church the fact that contraception pretty much did the same thing or had the same impact as the rhythm method and that it was all the same thing. And I think that's a view that a lot of people share, whether they're Catholic or not today, even though the, we are in big discussions about the HHS mandate and contraception, a lot of that in the news media seems to focus on the abortifacients. Uh, I always say that incorrectly, so feel free to correct me. In your practice now, as you came into um, the OBGYN practice, you started to meet women, have them come into the office, ask for prescriptions, prescribe contraception, and, and this you considered doing a favor to women and the care of women. Can you tell us how you gradually over time saw things that made you rethink this? Sure, definitely. And, and just for one simple point of clarification, the church actually does not advocate rhythm method. Mm-hmm. The rhythm method doesn't work right. very well because we sometimes will vary our ovulation day, mm-hmm. but the church advocates natural family planning and a lot of um, science is behind natural family planning so that you do not have a high unintended pregnancy rate. That's just a sidebar just because that's definitely part of the the popular culture to refer to the Catholic way as the rhythm calendar, which is right. which is which is not an as an effective form of birth control. So, okay, so moving on to just the whole idea of my role as an OBGYN, ultimately, as a, as a doctor, our job is to promote health and wellness for our patients. So if our patients want to achieve something, it's our job to help them to achieve that in the most healthy and direct manner, balancing both the risks and benefits. And, mm-hmm. and all... All medications, all interventions, they all have that balance of risk versus benefit. And you alluded to the risk of the early birth control pill in the 60s when it was at the higher doses causing death. And it absolutely has, and it actually continues to do so today, even with the lower dose formulations. Mm -hmm. And, you know, although the, the majority of side effects that women will experience from artificial contraception are minor breast tenderness, bleeding irregularities, mood disturbances, decreased sexual libido, those things aren't going to kill you. Mm-hmm. There are definitely still today women who will have a significant side effect, be it a clot, heart attack, and or stroke, mm-hmm. or a clot to the lungs, which definitely can be life-threatening, which is why you see those commercials on TV from malpractice lawyers trying to get people to sue. Um, So that being said, my goal is to promote health and wellness. And after about, I would say, over a decade of practice and Mm -hmm. seeing women in clinics and and talking to them about their goals, and, and then also seeing them back when they're experiencing side effects and us trying to remedy changing the formulation of the pill, changing not just going from the pill but to other methods that are Mm -hmm. injectables, um, I started to recognize that maybe my risk-benefit balance was was not as clear-cut as I was told it would be Mm -hmm. when I was in training. And as a pro-life doctor, remember, my objective is to minimize abortion. Mm -hmm. I started to recognize that I was seeing patients in the office who were pregnant who were on the pill. 
I started seeing patients who were pregnant who were using the IUD. The IUD can be hormonal or non-hormonal, but truly the mechanism of the IUD is more abortifacient than it is mm-hmm. prevention of conception. And, and that's kind of what I've explained to my patients repeatedly is, you know, there's only, there's only two ways to avoid pregnancy. One, never let the egg and sperm get together. Or two, if the egg and sperm get together and we start a baby, literally, don't let it stay. Kick mm-hmm. it out. Evict it. Call it whatever you want, but definitely the medical term is abort it, which mm-hmm. is why artificial methods of contraception have that abortifacient property. And if you read the package inserts, and for me, just in watching my patient population, it was clear that there was some validity to what the Catholic Church has always alleged, the primary difference between natural family planning and artificial contraception is that never can a couple that is using natural family planning cause a pregnancy to abort Mm -hmm. if they conceive during that cycle. And even over-the-counter emergency plan B birth control uh, um, options that we see advertised continuously, those are just birth control pills. Mm -hmm. And and it's because we know that the birth control pill has those two mechanisms, to decrease the rate of regular ovulation and to make the uterus inhospitable to an early pregnancy if indeed conception does occur. Mm -hmm. And we call that accidental or, you know, breakthrough ovulation mm-hmm. as a side effect of the pill. And again, as a pro-life doctor, that started to gain my attention. The IUDs, without a doubt, I, I went through a phase when I started practice where I would not do IUDs because I was convinced. Then I got persuaded by my partners at the time that it was not abortifacient, and I did. I, I, I did start putting them in, and I did start... I, I joke with my patients, I, I say I experimented on them, but ultimately all scientists and all doctors, we, we, we look for cause and effect. And right. I actually uh, put IUDs in my staff and uh, monitored the rates of ovulation. And definitely, without a doubt, I can say that we still ovulate when we have the IUD. So for me, I, I came to a, a fairly quick resolution, not quick enough, but mm-hmm. probably within a few years of doing IUDs, I decided that that definitely was was skirting my comfort level for abortifacient methods. And just that aside, and I don't know if there's a lot of time left in this segment, but just looking at it from the medical side, that was one thing. But then I started also evolving and growing as a woman mm-hmm. and looking at just the other sides of what it means to be a young woman in our society as well as a woman into her late 20s or mid-20s, 30s, and 40s, and how sexuality and societal expectations of our sexuality has changed. Right. That, just in the last two decades. That is a topic I just would love to really uh, tear into a little bit, and we could do that in our next segment. I did want to just highlight something that you said very quickly that is contrary to cultural understandings about contraception. It seems like when I am at presentations done by other doctors, 
when they ask the audience, have you or someone you've known gotten pregnant while they were on the pill? Without a doubt, hands go up all over the room. And yet the mantra out there is that contraception, the pill, prevents pregnancy. And you mentioned that you were seeing your patients come back pregnant even though they were on the contraceptive pill. Absolutely. And it's not just the contraceptive pill that has failures. Every method has Mm -hmm. a failure. Mm -hmm. It just does. The only guaranteed way to not get pregnant is abstinence during your fertile phase. That's it. That's the only guarantee because there's no chance (laughs) that the body will have its opportunity (laughs) to stay pregnant. Um, But I actually had one patient who took the birth control pill the first five months of her pregnancy. Hmm. And she was convinced the lack of periods were from the side effect of the pill. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, the side effects, I was interested, I'll have to tell you on the next break if uh, it fits into the conversation about some side effects related to this. Uh, We are talking with Dr. Lori Carrillo. She's a practicing OBGYN. This is Jane from the Home Front. Join us on the next segment when we'll be back. You're at the home front of an important battle. The American family is under assault. Eternal truths and understandings about family and marriage are being burned at the stake. Common sense is no longer common. Traditional values are being attacked as old-fashioned, obsolete, and irrelevant. Join us in the battle. Share, learn, and teach, adding your voice to the dialogue. Today at the home front. Welcome back to the home front. You're talking with Jane and Dr. Lori Carrillo, a practicing OBGYN here in Arizona. We've been talking about women's health and in the last segment talking about the birth control pill, um, prescribing it to the doctor's patients, uh, the fact that there were side effects. Uh, it did have an abortion effect on any kind of embryo uh, that was created. Not all the time, but in many cases. And we were really talking about the structure of our control of fertility as a mechanical event using the birth control pill, other IUDs, and devices to control our pregnancy. But this segment, we're going to shift the dialogue a little bit because one of the side effects of Uh, using these devices as that it's changed our view of as women and in our culture I think actually as we've changed the view of women we've also changed the view of men in our relationships together and Dr. Uh, Carrillo you saw that in your practice as patients would come in young girls single women asked uh, for a prescription for birth control pill and you would use your skills and curiosity to to ask what were their goals health-wise in that request. And you started to see uh, a really devastating impact of the birth control pill on your patients. Can you describe that process and that uh, experience? Sure. And and again, I'm I'm a... I'm a bit of a purist when it comes to medical um, <laughs> medical definitions and summaries. And I think just for, for clarity for the listeners, 
the birth control pill in this conversation today is kind of being used loosely to refer to all artificial hormonal contraception because the pill is just one avenue. We have it in different mm-hmm. forms. That was just a point of clarification. We have the injectables, Perfect. right? We have mm-hmm. the implants. But, but, but yeah, to look from from a perspective of just how it's affecting women from a from a behavior standpoint, from a societal standpoint, I will say that. I mentioned earlier I started to evolve, but that's within the context of both personally as as a married Catholic woman, as a mother of a daughter, and as a women's health care practitioner. I married young, I had children young, and a lot of what I was experiencing in the office could be brought home, so to speak, mm-hmm. because my daughter was also of the age of the of the patients I was seeing. Mm-hmm. And one of one of the things that sort of took me aback very very early in my career was the circumstance when a mother of an adolescent daughter or a pre-adolescent daughter would would come to see me so that I could give her the shot the shot meaning the depo provera so that right. way she wouldn't get pregnant and I would talk to the mom, why do you feel this way? I would talk to the daughter, who would be ultimately my patient, how do you feel about this? And it was always in the context of, of I saw her looking at a boy, I saw her boys looking at her, I know the way things go, I'm not going to be one of those moms stuck with a pregnant daughter. Mm-hmm. And this was a very, very common type of office visit, not mm-hmm. just with myself, but with my with my colleagues. And I started talking about it. How do you feel about this? I have I had at the time, a, you know, preteen, uh, tween daughter, and also my daughter saying that some in junior high, her mm-hmm. friends would say, "Hey, go to your mom's office and steal some birth control pills for us." Mm-hmm. And it started asking the question of, "Is my concern?" as a mother, that my daughter will become pregnant? Mm-hmm. Or is my concern as a mother also that my daughter will start to devalue herself as a woman mm-hmm. and allow herself to be objectified by this culture and by men? Mm-hmm. What am I more concerned with? What is what is the big picture here? And it, and it just started to ask the question. And, and sometimes I would challenge my, my mothers and their daughters. You know, what is what is our objective here? Do we are we ready for sex? Are we ready for for the consequences understanding that it's not just about pregnancy, it's about all of the above. Mm-hmm. And and sometimes I I would choose not to mm-hmm. give them what they're asking for because my job as a doctor is not to write a prescription or to do what I'm told to do, but to engage them in conversation and information and put forth my best clinical recommendation. And so that's that was before I had my true conversion and had stopped prescribing, but it started to ask the question. Mm-hmm. In the same in the same context of when this was happening, I was having probably 16, 17-year-old up to 24-year-old young women college coeds often coming to me very very upset because they were uncomfortable with the things that they were being asked to participate in sexually mm-hmm. in their groups because it's common it's normal it's expected mm-hmm. if you are going to date if you are going to have a boyfriend some of the things that they were being asked to do 
mm-hmm. they were not comfortable with, and they thought there was something wrong with them. And that's really when I, I started being more concerned with just the evolution of what's happened. And I will say that it's been a few years since this all started, and mm-hmm. probably in 2011 is when it really became intense. And now in 2014, I have a daughter who just finished her first year of college, and she said the most disappointing part of college was understanding that if you just start to kiss a guy, mm-hmm. they're automatically looking for the condom. That it's just implied. It's just part of the process. And maybe I'm, I'm, I'm exaggerating a bit when I say this was her most disappointing re- realization, but it was definitely something mm-hmm. she recognized as it's, it's just an expectation. Mm-hmm. that girls will allow themselves to participate. And right. and and the whole mantra of of part of women's liberation right now and part of part of our power as women is to embrace our sexuality as much as young men do and mm-hmm. choose to have random casual interludes so to speak because we want it, because it's for us. Even though we're, as women, the recipients of the STDs, we are the recipients of the STDs that cause cancer, not men. We are the recipients of long-term infertility because of STDs. We are the recipients of unintended and unplanned pregnancies that regardless of how it ends, whether we choose to keep, whether we have that choice taken from us in a miscarriage, whether we choose to abort, whether we choose to stay pregnant and keep the baby or place for adoption, all of those things are done individually. Mm-hmm. The, the, the man doesn't have any obligation to participate or to experience or to feel any of those, mm-hmm. but we're going to say that it is a shared equal opportunity decision to have random intimacies right with people that don't care what happens to us the moment they're done and you know the test of this uh, philosophy and uh why we need people to speak out and get us to rethink it. And we need the important medical information and scientific information brought out is that really um, our sexual behavior has become a political opinion rather than a medical issue. And a lot of people that, that are questioning the cultural value of I call it promiscuous sex. You've done a better job medically of discussing it. Um, are are being silenced. The information is not being put out for young people. We're going to come back to this and then also bring up natural family planning uh, in the last segment. Join us on the other side of the break. This is Jane from the Home Front, KFNX 1100 Independent Talk Radio. Stand my ground, and I won't back down. 
Welcome back to the home front. You're talking with Jane, and I am joined by Dr. Lori Carrillo, uh, practicing OBGYN in Arizona. And we've been looking at an important topic that gets very little attention in our culture, the topic of contraception, what it's done for our health, what some of the predictions were, and how it's actually playing out in our culture. Early on in the show, we were talking about kind of the medical, mechanical issues of, of what it does physically to prevent pregnancy and some of the things it does to the woman's body. In the last segment, both the doctor and I would like to continue with that discussion a bit. We were talking about the actual impact on relationships between men and women. And I am going to uh, give the guys a little bit of a, a, a sympathy card here because I do feel that we as women said here, I'm sexually available. I feel that I'm empowered now to have as much sex as I want with whomever I want at any time. And the guys have done what any natural person would do, which is say, okay. The odd thing is that the women's movement has led us to feel that we are empowered now by offering ourselves sexually so freely that we're getting what we want, which is unrestricted sex. And there are many people in the culture that are questioning that. It's actually at the heart of sex education discussions that we have on a regular basis on the Homefront show and that I write about. I want to uh, refer listeners to the website from thehomefront.org, and you will find uh, information shows, podcasts, on sex education because most of the sex education that's out there is really out there to promote contraception, to promote the sexual availability of girls and boys when they are ready, which is never really fully defined. And marriage is minimized. Uh, It's looked at as unnecessary, a disconnect. Uh, What young people really want is sexual availability. Dr. Carrillo, you said that as you watched this in your practice and thought about your own daughters and that the the risk that this was putting uh, them in, in a culture that was promoting these ideas, you really had a heart change that came about uh, in 2012. Yes, definitely. And and again, I, I had been slowly evolving and probably was, was really uncomfortable in 2011. And when the whole uh, onset of HHS mandates and HHS discussions started to really take flight uh, on the national news, I I started looking more clearly at at the church's objection uh, to mm-hmm. to that mandate, and came across the original opinion of the church that had been written in the era of the 60s, specifically mm-hmm. 1968, by Pope Paul in Humanae Vitae. And at that time, the Pope had predicted that if our culture proceeded with the use of artificial contraception and sterilization, that there would be four basic things that occurred. And if I may, yes, I would like to list those. Um, marital infidelity and lowering of moral standards. I think without a doubt... 
Um, mm-hmm. I witnessed that firsthand as a healthcare practitioner, especially um, what we just discussed in the last sec- section of mm-hmm. lowering of moral standards, uh, disregarding physical and emotional e- equilibrium of the woman. Mm-hmm. Uh, there will be a tendency to reduce her to a mere instrument of pleasure. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. 100% you can see with the, the mantra of friends with benefits. Right. Even though of all the Hollywood-produced Friends with Benefit films, the bottom underlying theme is that he realizes he loves her, and the last moment is when he professes his love to only be with her for the rest of their lives. <laughs> right. <Which> ultimately, <laughs> when, when I talk to my patients about these Friends with Benefit uh, types of relationships, that's what they're hoping for, too. And, and, and to believe that that it's something other than that or that they're really enjoying this random use of their bodies, I think is an element of denial that mm-hmm. we use to protect ourselves to accept something that is not what we really want. Right. And moving on, danger of public authorities using contra- contraception to engineer society, uh, both in China and in some of the Latin American countries, mm-hmm. uh, we have seen that, you know, the forced abortion policy, the one-child policy, now the forced contraception. Right. We're seeing young girls coming from Mexico that are having bleeding irregularities and finding IUDs um, in these young girls, and they were not even aware they had them. Mm-hmm. And it's because of some policies in different countries where when a young girl starts to menstruate, they're forcibly... Uh, implanted with either the IUD or Depo-Provera shots, which, again, is undermining and devaluing mm-hmm. not only our, our, our bodies, but our choice for health and mm-hmm. all the implications thereof. And then lastly, a false understanding of an unlimited control over one's body. Mm-hmm. And this is something that I think has yet to really be discussed in the health community, and I have someone right now who is a young woman who has contracepted con- continuously for over a decade with no break, and now that she's getting married and wants to get pregnant, mm-hmm. has found out that her ovaries no longer want to participate in her body's physiology, mm-hmm. which in layman's term, she's in menopause, and she, I, I, I will not give you details, but... We wouldn't expect that for another 20 years in this person. And I've seen this repeatedly in patients where not necessarily they go into menopause, but they contracept for so long that when they're ready, I'm ready. I want to be a mom. I want to get pregnant. They can't. Mm -hmm. And that's something that you do hear about and you do see that, that our generation, and we blame it all on women who want to have careers and women mm-hmm. who delay childbearing so that they can achieve their their goals in academia or in the workplace. And then when they finally go to have children, they can get pregnant. Mm-hmm. And we spend tens of thousands of dollars trying to do artificial reproductive technology so that we can get pregnant. And that in itself has its own ethical uh, dilemmas, right. as well as medical risks of higher risk pregnancies and complications thereof. So I, again, just, you know, looked at all of these things and can say without a doubt there was wisdom and there, mm-hmm. was, there was definite prophetic 
implications in that writing by the Pope right. in 1968, and I find it tragic. Right. There is nothing sadder to me as an OBGYN, as, mm-hmm. a, as a healthcare provider who, who really, really wants women to have what they want and to be healthy and to be happy, to, to do things that prevent them from the desires of their heart, right. desires of their heart be, becoming mothers, and also being in healthy, respectful, loving relationships right. that hopefully last their entire lifetime. And, and I will say that even before I started becoming an NFP-only provider, I had, I had several couples who only use natural family planning. And of those couples, I would consistently see them, and they never came in and said, I don't want to have sex with my husband. Or my husband doesn't want to have sex with me. Mm-hmm. And they always, every, you know, they, they, not that their marriages are perfect because all marriages require work. And NFP is not just roses. It's, it's, it has its sacrifice. But, but every, every month when a couple uses NFP, you remind each other that you're there by privilege Mm-hmm. And by choice, not because you have to be there, right. not because you made this decision and now you can't get out of it. Because every month you can't just have sex every single day without thinking about it. It's right. not intimacy in marriage is not a guarantee. Mm-hmm. It's something that is always precious if you use it the right way. And with NFP, you can't always do what you want to do with your spouse right. because. Unless you want to get pregnant, right? right. You know, it's, it's, we call it our green light, red light, right. or our yellow light. And, and that was a huge, a huge eye-opener for me just in watching my patients. And, and, and my patients who contraceptive, it was very common for them to come in and say, I have no desire to be with my husband, or my husband has lost interest in me, which is always a red flag. And, right. and, and I, I, I can't understand that always, but I can say the basic psychology of the human being, and especially the male psyche, is you always want what you can't have. And, right. and NFP, which is ultimately periodic abstinence, instills that cycle of wanting what you can have with your spouse, which I think is is ultimately healthy. Right. Um, Dr. Carrillo, we're going to yeah. run up against uh, the end of the show here, and I wanted to make sure that we get some of those NFP resources out to the listeners. I won't have time to repeat them on the air, but I do have uh, website resources for the radio show, and I will post them there. It's uh, worthy of another show just to talk about NFP because it, like you said in the first segment, is not the old uh, rhythm method. Uh, no, it's thank, not. Thank you very much for being with us. Uh, Jane from the Homefront signing off. <laughs> 